You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, interviews from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s with voices from the past. I think most people think of John, they don't even think of him as married. When I would be buying something with a credit card or whatever, they'd always they'd go, oh, are you John Belushi's sister? I kept thinking, why did I think that? But I think it's because that's just, they don't, that's just the first thought they'd have. I was clearly not his mother. John Belushi's widow, Judy Belushi. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. Hi, I'm John Belushi. Just having a cup of coffee before the show. It's kind of a tradition with me. Here at Saturday Night Live, we have another tradition that the show is always open with the words, Live from New York, it's... Well, you know the rest. <laughs> Tomorrow, March 5th, is the 40th anniversary of the death of comedian John Belushi, one of the original cast members of Saturday Night Live when it premiered in 1975. Belushi was also the star of such popular movies as Animal House and The Blues Brothers. But John Belushi also had a substance abuse problem, and on March 5, 1982, he died in a Los Angeles hotel room of a drug overdose. A woman named Kathy Smith was accused of administering the fatal speedball concoction. But suddenly, at age 31, Belushi's high school sweetheart, his wife Judy, was left a widow. Now, a few years later, she wrote a book about that experience and her reactions, her response, and that's when I met her. So here now from 1990, Judith Belushi. As I did this book, I tried to make myself a little bit of an experiment in that I didn't read about being a widow, and I didn't read books that might have been helpful to me, and I didn't read books like Lynn Kane's Widow because I was a, uh, didn't want to be influenced by, um, one, by being seeing something that, like, oh, that's a good point, I want to be sure to make that, or, oh, I can't say what I was going to say now because she said that. And uh, I was very pleased uh, when I finally did start uh, five years or so after when I finally had a full draft of the book. I uh, began to read some books about widowhood and, and was very pleased to see, oh, good, I really hit that and I hit that. And it is very, I mean, these things are true. There is a, t you can, uh, there is a commonality between problems. It's, it's tough enough to be a widow under any circumstances, but to be the widow of someone famous, not just famous, but at that moment, very famous. Mm -hmm. uh, you've had some, I, I must confess uh, to some uneasiness as I read, because as a member of the news media, <laughs> I've been on the placing end of calls like yeah. you got, yeah. uh, brusquely saying, oh, uh, we hear your husband died. Could you tell us about it? Yeah. That's, uh, you know, you don't realize how insensitive those calls are until you see the other side. Yeah, I did. I mean, that is why I put things, some things in there, like the uh, gentleman calling the house, gentleman of the press calling the house just after John had died and asking me that, because I, 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 there is a lot of insensitivity that goes on that I don't think people realize, that, that as you just said, you just don't realize. And um, Although, you know, the press, I mean, is an important part of the democracy. So and you're, 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 you're suddenly, at probably your most vulnerable time, a very public person, whether you really want to be or not. Yeah, well, it's certainly not something you think about or want at that moment. That's you true. Don't but, know much what you want. But you had so many people around to help you. I mean, yeah. uh, bless your heart, if my wife were suddenly a widow, and I hope that doesn't happen anytime real soon, yes. <laughs> I'm not sure that she would have even a tenth as many people come around as you had. Well, I, I was very fortunate. On one hand, there were a lot of pe There was a good core group, and that's what's important. I had a lot of uh, people who were who I 
our friends who also came. So it was a huge amount of people that I don't think when you get to a certain point, it's not like, well, a thousand people is ten times as good as a hundred. <laughs> you just need that core group. And I did have that. And uh, it was really important. And and I, it, thinking back on it, I, I, I feel very lucky and very grateful to my friends and my family, especially, who stayed with me and gave me emotional support and listened to the same complaints over and over and uh, tried to sometimes tried to talk some sense into me and sometimes just let me flounder and all those things that uh, people who love you have to try to do when they didn't understand what's going on either, really. Do you have to be careful in the writing of a book like this that you don't unconsciously assume the tone of, gee, look at me. Gee, what a rough time <laughs> I've had. Yeah, I, I certainly... Tr- I wanted to, on one hand, try to get to the heart of the emotions and... Uh, really get into the pain, so to speak, and uh, and as I went overdraft, sometimes I did cut some things out just because I thought, oh, I, I wanted to slap myself, you know. I was like, oh, come on, come on, come on. But so it was difficult as the writer to keep that balance, let it stay in, but try not to restate it too much. Um, some things I think you do go over and over. And that was part of the point of letting some of that be repeated. But for you, I'm sure the writing, even the writing of the parts that you eventually had to cut out, must have been very helpful. I think it's very helpful. I think that's uh, the part of, of the process of going through the grief is to look at it and to reexamine things. Uh, the balance is to not get too lost in the past. It's all right for a while, and I, and I think that it is certainly natural that you think through a lot of your past for a while. Uh, and... Uh, <laughs> The obsessiveness of getting into it is what you have to watch out for, and it's hard to know what that is. Uh, my, my brother, who lost his fiance three months after John had died, and I were able to share a lot of the grief process as we went on, and I, I, I remember visiting him three months after uh, Liz had passed away, and a friend of his saying, well, you know, Rob's got to snap out of this. It's been three months. And I just said, oh, you know, I was only six months at that point. I said, when, uh, three months, I think I was just sort of coming out of shock. You know, I think I was just, the numbness was just going away and the pain was really setting in. You know. Is there a feeling at that point when you have two deaths so close together of thinking, what is happening? What is this, yeah. our family cursed or something? Well, yeah, you, you have a lot of crazy thoughts throughout a process like this. And one of the things I have read is that that is common. And one of the, it was one of the, the things I was uh, grateful to have read a book at, uh, that was about a, an elder Jewish man who was uh, widowed. And that inspired me to want to write about it for that exact reason of getting a sense like, oh, I'm not crazy, <laughs> because someone else wrote about this, these feelings, and so it's, it must be part of this process. Um, the second death, yes, was, it, it can make you um, cynical, and you can lose some sense of your, your innocence as these things happen, but once again, I, I feel fortunate that with time I've been able to work through most of... Uh, these issues, and, and I feel that I've c- come to a place. I don't think you return to how you were. You keep going, and you move forward, and you grow. And I feel uh, fortunate that I, I think I'm still basically the same naive person <laughs> that I was <laughs> before. <laughs> An uncomfortable question, I guess. Would, are you better prepared now if it should ever happen? I mean, we, we hope nothing happens to you on your way out of the station today, but if, if if the worst were to happen, yeah, I think it's. I don't know if you can be prepared so much, but I, I'm. Just, I know that my spiritual sense of myself and 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 the world is stronger, and that I think that would be a, a big help. And I'm sure I would go through the same basic process. You know, I would still have to go through grieving. Let's say whether it be my fiance or um, my parents or whomever, which is 
I mean, it's inevitable that I'm going to lose people close to me. When, when you open yourself up to love people, you're, you're also going to lose people unless you're the first to go. But uh, so it, it is it's just a it is absolutely part of life. And I, that's something I see now and have dealt with and understand better. And, and it helps me have a sense of just living and and appreciating uh, the people around me. I think I uh, just never really thought about it much before John died. And this culture, I think, is very youth oriented and we don't really want to. Uh, think about uh, death or how to deal with it or, or even to talk to people who are dealing with it. People are afraid to say, oh, I'm sorry to hear about your father or, or whatever it would be. You just sort of think, well, I just won't say anything and, and maybe then they won't think about it too, like, as if they're not thinking about it. <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's curious. And that is another reason I, I felt strongly about writing the book in this, this, uh, from this focus. How do you cope, though, with the persistent reports that he was using all kinds of drugs, that he did this, he did that, that Kathy Smith did this or didn't do that? It's got to be a, a terrible trial. It was hard, and, and I, I, that's one of the things in Samurai Widow that I, I was doing my internal self and my external self, and the external being dealing with those kind of things. And I, I wouldn't say that I dealt with it real well. I reacted um, I was upset. I, I felt uh, that's how people saw John. I got too hung up in it. And I think ultimately what people say to you, the best thing is is just to let it be. I, I had to, you know, uh, to I think I reacted by going to a reporter publicly because everything was so public. Someone had said, well, why didn't you get a detective? And I just thought, why didn't I get a detective? <laughs> it just, like, didn't occur to me. It was so public, I think, that what came to my mind was, you know, a reporter um, looking into uh, what had gone on in L.A. because things seemed uncertain was the, the route to go. And, uh, and, and those were all reactions, and I was very vulnerable. And uh, so in one hand, I didn't deal with it that well, but I don't I, – I understand that why. And so I, I just have accepted that that's what happened at that time, and it's, I'm just happy that with the year or so after that or two years, I was able to put it in perspective for myself and let go of what it was and not worry about it and realize it isn't that important. You know, but what was in the press then? No doubt, there are people who read it and believed it, and but, uh, but that's there are people okay. Who believe anything. <laughs> it's right. Yeah, I, mean, I read it in the Inquirer. It must be true. Yes, you know. Uh, so. is, isn't it true that over time, that that in the, in this pond of life, if you will, mm-hmm. that the dirt settles to the bottom and the clear water rises to the top? Yeah, that's a, a good analogy. I I suspect that's true. After this short break, Judy Belushi on how she dealt with watching TV after John's death. back to my 1990 conversation with Judith Belushi. Is it possible for you now to watch reruns of Saturday Night Live? Sure. I've, uh, I, I produced uh, the best of John Belushi for of Saturday Night work. So that was a phase, and I think that was 86, uh, where I was uh, in the studio spending a lot of time looking at John's work. And that was a point where I felt good about it. And in fact, it made me, you know, it was nice because uh, I was laughing. He made me laugh. I still liked his work. I was Im- impressed with how much work there was. I mean, I had been there when it was done, but you finally sit and look at it. And pleased to see that I could watch things over and over as we edited, and it would still work for you, and people coming in from the hallway and laughing and, and those kind of things. So that was good. Now, um, uh, if I see something on television, I, I may watch it. I may not. It's It's... 
I, you know, I, I've seen everything. <laughs> but does it does so, it uh, does it give you a sense of pride to know that your husband was involved in things that have become cultural icons? You know, the the, yes. the, the killer bees and the and the, the but no and uh, yeah, no. I, I I hear people saying things occasionally on the street or just like others do or in the grocery store, and and it's kind of nice. It's it's a little smile. Are there people who still think that you married the Saturday Night Live star and they don't know that you were high school sweethearts? Oh, I'm sure most, you know, I don't think most people think about me too often. <laughs> 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 and I think most people who think of John, they don't even think of him as married. Even when he was alive, if, when I would be buying something with a credit card or whatever, they'd always they'd, oh, are you John Belushi's sister? People never would. I mean, I don't think we lo- looked much like. But um, I don't know. I kept thinking, why did I think that? But I think it's because that's just they don't. That's just the first thought they'd have. I was clearly not his mother. And uh, well, now your book does have a happy ending, though. Yes, it does. And, and he's he's sitting right here with us right now. <laughs> yes, I'm very fortunate that Victor's taken uh, time off from his work to accompany me on my on my book tour. And um, the uh, when I was writing the book, because I spent seven years. To have distance and to go through it, I mean, it's a process. It takes time to go through. And uh, I was never sure where it was going to end, but I knew when it had come to an end. And it's, and for a minute, I thought it was a little, you know, too corny kind of, that just like, and happily ever after, which, of course, ultimately, life will be up and down. But it is in a place that is uh, very wonderful and and healthy and happy and you know, there's drama still, and there's uh, the the struggles, but uh, that's part of everything too. <laughs> Last year, Cindy Garvey was here. She'd written a book about her experiences, her bad experiences with the media, and and with her husband, all in a different way. But yeah. she said that she wanted to put her story in a book, go on the tour, do all the interviews, and <laughs> smile nicely to all the interviewers, and then never have to answer another <laughs> question again. Yeah. Does that feeling hit you sometimes? Somewhat, yeah. And at least not in this kind of a format. I don't expect to really. Uh, I don't see what else I would be doing that would, you know, when I'll have my book of children's poetry and I'll be saying, well, what would John have thought of that poem? You know? <laughs> That's sort of a nightmare, <laughs> actually. But there, there, I'm sure there are times that, that you've wanted and you know, perhaps now have put in, you, you've been faced with the same questions over and over again here's your chance they're in a yeah. book people can read them yeah and you don't ever have you never have, oh, yeah. you have to, well just like cindy garvey you can say read the book yes leave well, me alone. Yeah, exactly and in that regard I, I am i mean i've been asked about optioning for movies or, or tv and i've said no because i've said it here in, in this book and that's uh what i wanted to do and to, to let it go on it's just to another uh, medium would be uh, letting someone else take it again and do what they want with it, and I, I don't want to do that. I'm looking more forward to uh, doing some projects I have of my own and and working with uh, my fiance Victor Pisano in uh, various levels as uh, in productions where I might work as a producer or uh, he's working on a book that I want to design and uh, in that level more as a partner. And I think that's you know what will be interesting in the future. I think Bill too. A lot of people don't quite realize uh, you alluded. A little while ago, back, uh, how people really didn't think John Belushi had a wife. Perhaps um, they were really a partner, and I can and I know that because I sense that with Judy myself. Judy is a tremendous um, giving person in a relationship, and she is um, 
inspirational as well as leading. I mean, if I get into a mind block on a piece of work or if I'm writing something and I don't know exactly how or where I'm taking it, Judy always has some suggestions, at least will pull us out, and vice versa. And I've known from um, John's friends, who uh, I've met subsequently, that um, that was true with John and Judy as well. Many of the characters and things that John worked out, like the samurai himself, were you, Judy were, was a sounding board, sort of a, a way of working that out, made some wonderful suggestions, and, and together they were a team. And I think, you know, it was like uh, Burns and Alan, and when Alan died, uh, George Burns, he, he lost a, 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 his soul, part of his soul. I think that can be expressed in Judy's book as well, because I, I see just the opposite went, went happening to Judy. Well, I, we I, hope that you have the same longevity as George Burns has. Well, I hope had. so too. <laughs> uh, I was a little younger than he was when he lost his wife too, which I think has made it a little easier for me to open up to be in a position and a, a, where I could love again. Judith Belushi Pisano is seventy-one now. She and Victor Pisano divorced a couple of years ago. And you can find easy Amazon links to Judy Belushi's book at our website, HeardEverything.com. And while you're at HeardEverything.com, be sure to listen to a couple of my other interviews, including my talk in 1994 with Sam Kinnison's brother, Bill Kinnison. Sam never ever wrote a routine. He never sat down and wrote a routine. Everything he did was either his viewpoints, which many times were politically incorrect, or was his life experiences. And my 2008 conversation with another woman who had to face widowhood too early, crocodile hunter Steve Irwin's widow, Terry Irwin. He didn't look at an animal and say, that could rip my head off, or gee, that's the most venomous snake on earth. He appreciated and admired its beauty and its adaptability and just genuinely loved it. And I never saw him scared of anything. And of course, we post new episodes here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find Now I've Heard Everything on all major podcast platforms. And thanks for listening. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything, my conversation with a woman who wrote a book that launched a revolution, maybe one of the greatest revolutions of our time, my 2000 interview with the author of The Feminine Mystique, Betty Friedan. I didn't set out to make a revolution at all, you know, but I certainly didn't realize I was going to start the most massive revolution of them all. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson. Bill Thompson.